Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Luke chapter 9 is where we're going tonight. <clears throat> I'm going to share, you, share with you a Luke's account of the verse we've been looking at in Matthew 16 about what it means clearly to be a disciple of Jesus. We are talking about living the life of a disciple. I want to talk about this in a way to help you to start understanding the keys of what makes a disciple. Look at our life. How are we doing? Yes. Are we doing these things? Are we learning these things? Are we developing in these things? Because no matter where you, excuse me, no matter where you are and you walk with God, we can always develop more as a disciple of Jesus. And the truth is, when we actually now get into that position beyond what we're going to again talk about in the four growth stages of a convert or an epistle, to become a disciple of Jesus, I'm going to tell you what, that is a high way of living, high form of life. To live like Jesus, best, best example you could have of your life is to be a, a disciple of Jesus in this earth. <clears throat> You've attained a, a true high standard uh, when you get to that level, praise God. If you're already there, stay there in Jesus' name. Luke chapter 9, this is again Luke's account of what Jesus st stated as we've been looking at in uh, Matthew 16, 24. So this is Luke's account of it. Verse 23, I want to show you a little difference here in Luke's account. Notice Jesus said to them all, now he had talked about right before this, <clears throat> about the same thing like Mark, about dying, going to the cross. Remember Peter though tried to rebuke him. And so after he talked about him giving his life for us, he said, if anyone, say anyone. So the, the same four things are here. If anyone, one, desires to come after me, two, let him deny himself, three, take up his cross daily, and four, follow me. Follow me. So again, these are the four things of what is necessary to walk through the process of becoming a disciple. I'm going to begin tonight with keys of what a disciple is according to the Bible. If you've never heard them before, I encourage you to take notes and write them down. If you want to be a disciple, you've got to know what those keys are. These keys will all relate to these four aspects of what we're talking about, really three of them that we just read. Because the truth is, the first one is the key that makes the other three work. Number one, out of the four things of how you become a disciple, is you got to do what? you got to have a desire. I want to say it this way, a passion. A passion to want to become like Jesus. You know, in, in uh, coming up on 33 years as a pastor, this uh, Easter, this coming Easter will be 33 years... 34, sorry. I was thinking 33 for some reason. 34 years as a pastor, one thing I've learned about counseling God's people, trying to help God's people, trying to work with God's people, you know, I, I, don't even, I couldn't even fathom the hours that I have spent talking to people on the phone, emailing, talking in person to people. One thing I've noticed in every single one of their lives, all of them, of course, situations, problems, issues, wanting them changed, wanting things to be better, absolutely. But the problem is those who don't have this first, this first issue uh, dealt with in their life, a desire to be like Jesus, I have found all the hours, all the counsel, all the things I've poured into their life did no good. None at all. 
because the other aspects of what you deal with in counseling is understanding to walk in the things of God. You're going to learn who you are inside and you're going to live this new lifestyle. Say new lifestyle. So reality is without that desire to, to truly become like Jesus, develop that relationship God has for you, I'll guarantee you if there's anything higher on your list than knowing God and walking with God, you will not be a disciple and or stay a disciple. That's just the facts. So one, I got to have a desire to do what? Be like him. Be like him. I have to have that desire. If anyone desires to come after me, be like me, be a disciple is what the Greek language says. Then we go to step two. So if I have that desire, which by the way, you can lose that desire. But if I have that desire, what's the second thing I got to do? Deny myself, which means what? Deny the old self. Deny the old self human nature. I'm not denying the new self. That's the guy that I'm wanting to have come to dominance. So Jesus proved this in the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay, power pastor, the power of pastoring literally is repetition. Don't ever get bored hearing the same thing over and over. So realize again, he did this in the Garden of Gethsemane. He himself said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. What was he about to do? Carry out God's will. He was about to go to the cross, right? Which brings us to step three. If we deny our old self-will, what do we do next? Number three, we take up his will. We now take up what his will is for us. You're not going to take up God's will until you first do what? Deny your old self-will. But when your old self-will rises up, you got to deny that. And you got to do what? Number three, take up your cross, which is now carrying out God's will for you. That's what Jesus came here to go and bear that cross and to take our sin, punishment our sin deserved, our sickness, our disease, and redeem us. That was the whole reason he came was to go to that cross, which was what? Fulfilling God's will. So for me and you to fulfill God's will begins with the, as a disciple with just understanding who's on the inside based on the Bible. <clears throat> what does the Bible say that person on the inside looks like? And what does the Bible say that person therefore lives like? And that's when I begin to walk that out because that's now walking out that new man. That's now walking in the will of God. And then the fourth thing we got to do is do what? Follow him, which means what? Number four, you got to become his companion. <clears throat> you got to become a companion of Jesus. How are you going to become like Jesus? So I kind of like to, in sometimes teaching this, start from the last one and go forward. Go backwards. Excuse me, go backwards. So if you start with the last one, follow me. Be his companion. You're never going to become a disciple without being his companion. Which goes back to my point of what I just said at the start of this, is that if you don't have this hunger, this desire, this passion to be like him, walk with him, then guess what? You'll never deny self, and you'll never take up his will. Here's the sad part. You'll never experience Zoe life on this side of heaven. You'll miss out on Zoe life. And this is what Jesus was also referring to, not just, yes, eternal life, but that, that eternal life includes life here and now. Eternal life isn't when you just get to heaven, right? Jesus described it in John 17, 3. This is eternal life that you may know the Father. Well, to know the Father, you get to walk in Zoe life. So realize that when Jesus himself said, narrow is the gate and difficult, that word difficult means confined. Confined is the way. There's only, God's got already set up spiritual way in which you live this life out as a spirit being. And narrow is the gate and, and confined is that way, which leads to what? It says life. Not eternal, it just says life. What is it? Zoe, the God kind of life. If you want to live the God kind of life, it's a narrow and confined way. But broad is the gate, and wide is the way which leads to destruction, which is what? The flesh. The flesh has many ways to lead you to destruction. 
The spirit has one way, walk with God. Amen. The flesh has many ways, walk with him, walk with them, walk with them, walk with them, do what they do, do what they do, do what they do. No, but the spirit says, no, I walk with God. So the cool part about it is you can walk in Zoe life and experience what God has. If you haven't got them down yet, I want you to get to the point in my church that if I turned to you and said, give me the four things it takes to make a disciple, you could reel them off. And by the way, by the time we get to the end of this series, there will be a test. <laughs> I'll be ready for a test. <clears throat> I'm not going to test you, but life will. Life will. So understand this. Four things. I want to walk them through. I want you to get them. What's the first thing I got to have? Come on, somebody help me. Don't look at your notes. I got to have a desire to do what? To be just like Jesus. I used the example of me wanting to ride bulls. Finally found a guy that knew what he was doing. I had a desire to be just like him. I had to do these same things in that, in that part of my life. To, to become what I wanted to be as a bull rider, I had to have a desire to become like a guy that was good. Then I had to do what? Deny how I thought I should do it. Because I wasn't doing good. I had to deny that way. Well, this is what you don't do. No, no, no. I've always done it that way. Not if you're going to be successful, you're not. So you got to deny that old self. And then you got to do what? Take up a new way. You got to learn what they're trying to teach you of what to do. I'm talking about bull riding here. And then you got to become their what? Companion. Because if you don't hang around them, you're not going to learn from them. Can I get a better amen? amen? So the same example is true of Jesus. You have to desire to be like him. You have to deny what you think about life. You have to deny what you think about church. You have to deny what you think about the Bible. You have to deny what you think about prayer. You have to deny what you think about anything that relates to life in general. You have to ditch all of your ways of thinking to now start thinking like God and going God's way. And taking up God's way. And then you got to make him your companion. So I already talked to you about this. About then understanding to get to that discipleship stage. There are, I'm not trying to confuse you. But there are four growth stages of a believer. Yeah. To get to that point. As you go through this. You're going to go through four growth stages. When I begin in relationship to giving up my will and taking up God's. What am I doing? I'm going through conversion stage. Yeah. I'm converting from not going to church to go to church. Not because I want, not because I have to go to church, because I want to. I, I mentioned this to somebody today. I said, "Isn't it funny? I drove a rock truck 60, 80 hours a week. I rode bulls every moment I could get on one. But after I got born again, even with all that going on, guess what? I never did unless I was at a rodeo on a Sunday. I never missed church. I never missed not one time. My pastor's not here anymore. He's in heaven. But Sherry is. You can ask her. I never missed a service." I mean, seriously, I worked up to 80 hours a week driving a rock truck, go to Mesquite on a Saturday night, and I didn't get home from Mesquite back over in the Keller till 1 a.m. in the morning, and guess where I was at 9 o'clock setting chairs up in the arena? I was at church. I was at church. So a lot of people give all these excuses and stuff. Listen, nobody drugged me. Nobody said, you got to go. Nobody said, come on, you, you got to go to church if you're going to walk. Nobody said that. You want to know why I did that? I had a desire. To be like Jesus. You know what I did in my rock truck? My rock truck became my preaching little capsule. I mean, I, I'm serious, man. Uh, you know, this is pre-internet uh, days. I couldn't jump on the internet and grab people's teachings. I would buy cassette tapes, man. I would, I would take any option I could get. Uh, people I knew that taught the Word of God knew what they were talking about, like Kenneth Hagin. And I would buy their cassette tapes. And guess what I listened to over and over for hours in that rock truck, 68 hours a week, teaching. 
Well, I get bored with that. I'll tell you why. Because your passion isn't to be like him. I never got bored spending hours with this guy trying to help me to become a bull rider. I never said, I'm fed up with you. I'm bored with you. I want to go talk to somebody else. No, man. I kept trying to find more time to hang out with him. See, I didn't get bored hearing God, hearing things about God. Kathy can tell you in our dating time, when we were dating, I was still driving a rock truck, still doing this. And in our dating time, I not only listened to teachings all day long, because I'm a baby Christian. I'm hungry. I want to know God. I want to walk with God. I want to get close to God. I was blown away you could have a relationship with God. Am I preaching to anybody beside myself tonight? And I so hungry for God. I went out literally at that, that time in, 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 in the time frame that I'm living. VCRs were not cheap. What are they now? If they're even around, you can't probably buy one anymore. But I mean, they came down to like, I think some 50, 40, 50 bucks, right? You know how much my VCR cost me to have one that had a digital timer on it? So I could set it to record, to watch a show of Believer's Voice of Victory every single night when I got home? 350 bucks out of my pocket. That's a lot of rodeos, man. 350 bucks. But I was that hungry to know God. I went and bought a VCR, 350 bucks, so I could set the timer every day, five days a week, record that. And the first thing I did coming home from driving my rock truck all day long, I'd come home, throw a TV dinner in the microwave, man. I'd go start rewinding my VCR. I'd get my TV dinner out, sit down, and I'd watch that teaching. Sometimes I'd fall asleep watching it. I was so tired. From working that day. But you know what? Didn't stop me. I said, didn't stop me. And you know what? Nobody forced me to do it. I didn't have my pastor, Jeff uh, Copenhaver, come over to my house and say, come on, boy. We're going to get that in the VCR. Get ready. You're going to listen to that. Nobody did this. Nobody forced me. You know why I did it? Because I was hungry to know God. Nobody forced me to open my Bible and read it every day. I opened it because I was hungry to know God. See, the problem with a lot of Christians, they're finding out, I believe, if they'll wake up, they're not hungry for God. If they got a problem opening their Bible daily, they have a hunger issue. They have a hunger problem. They're hungering for something else besides God. <clears throat> you fill up on the world, that's why God's boring to you. <laughs> I'm letting this sit on you. If you fill up on dessert, guess what? The main meal's boring to you. You don't even want it. You're like, oh, no, man. No way. We had lunch the other day with Pastor and had all these, you know, you get all these uh, uh, appetizers, right? And so after eating appetizers, here comes the main meal. You're like, well, I don't know if I can do the main meal or not. We're pretty full after the appetizer. Are you listening? If you feed on other stuff, the reason a lot of times you're not hungry for God is because you're too full of other things. I'll digress. So, four keys to understanding being a disciple. Tell me the first one again. Come on. Got to desire what? I got to have a passion and desire to be like him. If I do, number two, deny the old self-will. Number three, take up God's will. Number four, make Jesus your companion. To follow him there means to become his companion. Hang out with him. Listen, that's not just, you got to understand that. Go to John chapter 8. You got to understand that. To follow, don't write it down as follow Jesus. If you study that out and look that up, how in the world did anybody in Jesus' day, John chapter 8, how did anybody in Jesus' day, how did they become his disciple? They became his companion. They hung out with him. Imagine the rich young ruler at the end of the time frame that Jesus was here and now gone and now knows this was the Son of God. 
whom Jesus gave an opportunity to become his companion. And he turned it down. But I see a lot of Christians doing that today. And I'm here to tell you, you got to make him your companion. That's a daily relationship, primarily New Testament, although you can hear from him in the old, to develop an understanding of relationship with God. Amen? Amen. You know, it's like any relationship, the more time you spend with that person, they rub off on you. The truth is, he's not rubbing off on us as much as he's showing us who's on the inside and helping us be influenced from that new nature. John chapter 8. So I'm going to get into the keys of what makes a disciple. I'm going to touch on the first one tonight. John chapter 8. I'm not going to go through the rest of them because there's like 50 of them. No, I'm joking. There's, I'm just going to go through the first one tonight. John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus said to those Jews who what? So they believed in him. They believed in him. The Holy Spirit just prompted me and said, you missed the whole point I gave you in Luke 9, 23 about what it said there to actually deny self and take up your cross what? Take up your cross what? Daily. Daily. So what that means is, I want you to get this. The aspect of what you and I know of a disciple is, it's a lifestyle. To take up my cross daily, to take up what is God's will for my life, to live up my life as a disciple, I'm supposed to do it what? Daily. I'm not just supposed to do it on Wednesday night. I'm not just supposed to do it on Sunday. Every day, I should be pursuing taking up what God says a disciple of Jesus is. Amen? Amen? Taking up God's will. So I didn't want to miss that point. Thank you, Lord, for reminding me of that. This is a change of lifestyle. It's like I've told people all my life as a pastor. They, they come to me. They don't want to come to church. They don't want to read the Bible. They don't want to pray. They don't want to do any of these things to develop relationship with God. But they want everything in their life to change. I said, here's your problem. You're going to keep living the way you've always lived. So you're going to keep getting what you always got. How do you think this is going to change? He didn't die just to give you a ticket to heaven. He died to change your lifestyle. You're a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. He wants you to now walk out this wonderful new life that's now living on the inside of you. Amen? Back to John 8. So Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, clearly, therefore we know this applies to all who have faith in Christ. If, condition word, taught you this. When God talks to us conditionally, what's always attached? A promise. Whenever he talks about a condition on our part, if we'll do it, there's a promise to be fulfilled. Notice what he said, if you, so that'd be me. Who's the, what's, excuse me, what's the primary subject in this verse here? You. You, talking about you. If you do what? Underline it. Abide in my word. Watch this. So you'll see in all these statements I'm going to give you. I'm not making up any of them. I'm not trying to make them fit in any way that they don't fit. You're going to see in every statement Jesus is going to give you. This is what the Bible says a disciple does. If you abide in my word, you're my what? Oh, so what do disciples do? Number one, they abide in the Word. Now, let me explain that to you in just a minute. It's more than just reading the Bible or obviously living in the Bible. True. But you're going to see that it means more than that. But I want you to get it down. Number one, the first trait, attribute of a disciple, they abide in His Word. Jesus said so. Jesus said, if you abide in my Word, you are my disciples indeed. I've heard people misquote this. Well, if you abide in his word, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He said, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. So it's more than just head knowledge. It's more than just reading the Bible once in a while. 
Because if I abide in that word, what's that word going to do? It's going to make me a disciple. That word, I want to say it a different way. That word is going to bring out the new me, which is going to bring out the disciple in me. That's what the word will do. Brother Hagin used to teach it all the time. If you would learn to get in love with Jesus and therefore the word, because he and the word are one, as you impart this, especially New Testament letters into your life, what you're imparting is the nature of Jesus that's in you to bring it out of you. And you'll build that nature up within you to come out of you that's in your spirit, man. So understand this clearly. If I or you, anybody, abide in his word, what are we again? So the, the question, you know, obviously should be asked. What if I don't abide in his word? You're not a disciple. Are you saying I'm not born again? Didn't say that. Jesus, again, never said you, quote, unquote, had to be a disciple to enter the kingdom. What did he say to Nicodemus? You've got to be born again. Got to be born again. Once you're born again, what are you? Convert. What should you want to become? Disciple. Walk just like Jesus walked. So again, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. What's the promise? Verse 32, and you shall know the truth. Now I want you to make a note of this statement, either in your notes or in your Bible. You need to make a note of the statement, you shall know the truth. I want to talk about that. You shall know the truth. Watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. And your effort shall make you free. All your head knowledge will make you free. Now watch this. This is powerful. You got to get it. You got to get it. And the truth will. The truth will. The truth shall make you free. From what? From the enemy. From his works. From your old nature. From all that yet had walked in before. As a fallen nature human. And now a born again child of God. You can walk free from all of what you had in the past. What's going to set me free? The truth will. So this helps you understand the statement better. You shall know the truth. And then the Truth will set you free. So this ain't head knowledge. I know a lot of Christians realize this. Think about the Pharisees. Think about the scribes. How much head knowledge did they have of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah? And yet the truth was standing right in front of them. And they didn't recognize him. Why? All they had was head knowledge. That's all they had. You and I are not supposed to have just head knowledge. To know the truth here isn't just head know it up here. This phrase to know means through, you ready? Through application in your life. To know here is through application in your life. You're applying it, and as you apply it, guess what the truth does? Sets you free. You don't know it until you apply it. You don't fully know it until you apply it. You're going to know it first, yes, in your thinking, in your mind, but that's not enough yet. As I'm going to talk about tonight and refer to, and this is important to understand, to get to this place of knowing the truth Your mind has to be renewed to the new you. Because the truth that's freeing us is who we now are. Not who we were, but who we now are. About to show you another verse in a couple chapters after this as he prayed to the Father that he told us something about who we're not anymore. And therefore he told us something about who we are. What is the truth? It's knowing who we are according to the Scripture. But here's a key. I have to renew my mind to that. Listen, your mind is not, Christians got to get this. Your mind is not fully renewed. You ready? Until you actually put it into practice. Oh, get that. You need to get it. 
Your mind is not fully renewed. You're going to see it. Your mind is not fully renewed from the scriptures. Your mind is not fully renewed until you do what? Put it into practice. One's mind is not renewed until they actually put it into practice. Because the mind is talking about what? The soul. The soul is what? Mind, will, and emotions. So the soul is far beyond your brain. You listening? So we know that our soul is not saved. Thus saith the book of James, chapter 1. Your soul isn't saved. What we do by renewing our minds is what do we do? We save our soul. We deliver it from its old way of thinking to now think differently than what we did before we got born again. What's the key? I want you to get this. What's the key, Pastor, to how we're supposed to think? You ready? God wants you to become totally spirit conscious. Totally spirit conscious. As you renew your mind to the Word, what am I doing? You're to become totally spirit conscious. Conscious of your spirit man. Too many Christians are not spirit conscious. They're sin conscious or they're flesh conscious. Now, sin conscious, sadly, because a lot of preaching is actually preaching at you like you're a sinner instead of a believer. If you preach to people like they're sinners, what are they going to be conscious of? Sin. But if you preach to them like they're believers, it doesn't mean you don't point out wrong or you don't point out the Bible tells us. We got New Testament scriptures that tell us things that we shouldn't be a part of. Why? I'll tell you why. I've taught you this, raising your kids. I think it's time we apply it to the adults. All you kids need to start helping your parents. You ready? So every time a kid sees their parent do something that they shouldn't do, you know what the kid should say? You know why you don't do that, mom? You know why you don't do that, dad? You know why you don't do that, papa? You know why you don't do that, Grandma? Because that ain't who you are. Can I get a better amen? It's the greatest way to raise kids. Once they're born again, or if they haven't fallen yet, once they're born again, what do, what, what do you do when you correct them? Here's what you should do when you correct them. You should not just correct them and say, don't do that. Because all your focus is on what? What they should do. Don't stop there. I said, don't stop there. Get them focused at a young age. Get them focused at the new man on the inside. How do you get them focused on the new man? Honey, we don't do that. I'm going to tell you why. Because that's not who you are. Let me tell you who you are. You're a child of God. You're not a child of sin. You've been delivered from that. This is, this is who you are. You're the righteousness of God, right standing with God. You've been justified in the eyes of God. You've already been made one with God. You're one spirit with the Lord. The Lord wouldn't do that. Well, no, Mom. Well, neither do you, because that's not who you are. But see, adults need to start telling themselves this. And if the adults don't, maybe the kids will help us. Right? Not in a corrective fashion, but a helping fashion. But I'm here to tell you, folks, you've got to understand this. If you don't become spirit conscious, you won't walk in a renewed mind. And therefore, you won't walk in the new man, and you won't walk like Jesus. Guess what Jesus was not? He was not fleshly conscious. It doesn't mean he wasn't aware of what was going on. I'm just telling you, that just was not his focus. He was far more conscious, aware of the Father and his spirit than anything else. That's why he said, why, how did Jesus live on the planet saying, I only do what I see the Father do. I only hear what I, see, what I hear the Father say. What's the Father? He's a spirit. What was Jesus? Spirit conscious. To say, I only do what I see the Father do? I'll tell you why. He was spirit conscious, not physically conscious. He didn't look at things externally. He was looking to the Father. 
You listening? I only say what I hear the Father say. How could he say that? How could he live that out? Because he was spirit conscious. You become spirit conscious, and guess what you'll do? You'll start saying, oh, nope, the Father don't want me to do that. I wanted to respond to my, my spouse that way. Boy, did I want to give him a piece of my mind, which you should quit giving away because you probably gave enough away already. Oh, I want to give him a piece of my mind. But I'm going to tell you right now, the Father don't want me to give him a piece of my mind. Father wants me to give him some of my heart. Love, joy, peace. Don't be pitchforking tonight. You start talking to families, it's amazing how eyes start looking at each other. <laughs> Are you listening? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work on you. But understand this. You got to get this. If I'm spirit conscious, I'm aware of the guy that's on the inside. And as I'm aware of the guy that's on the inside through actions, what, guess what I start doing? I start living like Jesus. I start walking as a disciple of Jesus. So again, a disciple does what? Abides in the word, which I'm going to give you a definition in a minute. And I want you to get it. I want you to go to John 15 real quick. I'm going to show you, as you go further here, a little bit further, and, and again, what sets you free? The truth does. What is the truth that is setting me free? Who you are, what you have, and what you can do. How does that truth set me free, folks? How does knowing the truth set me free? Well, if I'm walking in it, which is what it means, to know means I'm experienced, I'm, I, I know it through experience. Best way to say it. You shall know the truth. What does that mean? I know it by experience. Because I'm walking in it. I'm doing it. And when you do that, what are you walking in the light of? The truth. Come on. The truth of who you are. What's that truth doing? It's freeing you. It's freeing you. It's freeing you from wrong choices. Freeing you from opening your mouth and saying stupid things. Freeing you from letting the devil take advantage of your life. Come on, somebody. Freeing you from that old flesh nature. I want you to get the practicality of this. Because to abide in the word, I want to give it to you now. To abide in the word means, you ready? That I have that word living in me. That word has come alive in me. If you're abiding in that word, that word is now coming alive in you. Jesus talks about this here in John 15. As he continues to progress here through the gospel of John from John chapter 8, he gets over to John 15 and he starts talking about this again. This abiding uh, abiding word in you. And it means to come alive in you. To abide here means to come alive. If I'm abiding in the word, what does that mean? That word's coming alive in me. How does that word come alive in me? I become spirit conscious through acting upon what the word says I now am. Did you get that? How does that word come alive in me? I'm going to show you some keys to how do you make that happen. But that word comes alive in me as I begin to become spirit conscious and act that out. What's happening with the Word? It's coming alive, man. It's coming alive. You're giving it life. You're giving that Word life now. You're allowing it to live out through you. Because you're yielding to it. You're allowing what's on the inside to begin to all of a sudden take dominance. And through the Word. And that Word is now doing what? It's being given life. It's being given breath through you. And what does that truth do? It starts freeing you. Because it's taking you down a whole different path. The flesh wanted to take you this way. Come on. But your spirit says, no, I'm going this way. How do you know you're going this way? Because of what the Bible, what the truth reveals to me about who I am. So I choose to honor what the Word says about me. And when I do, what do I do? I bring life to the Word. 
I bring life to the Word. And as I bring life to the Word, now it's abiding in me. What happens? That Word, that truth does what? Those actions have now gone a different direction. They're freeing me. See, a lot of people only think head knowledge. Well, if you know the truth, it'll set you free. You know how many Christians again know scriptures that you know, and they're not walking in freedom from stuff that the Bible says they should walk in freedom from. Why? They haven't fully renewed their mind to be what? Spirit conscious. All they've done is memorize scripture. Not bad. Not bad. But I got to do what? I got to get it alive in me. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. How do we do that? But before I get there, notice in John 15, what Jesus said here, almost identical words, very similar but he actually goes into more detail about abiding in the Word. Watch this. John 15, 1. Are you there? Yes. I'm the true vine. And my Father is what? What is the Father? Vine. The vine dresser. What's a vine dresser do? They keep cutting back the old, you know, dead stuff so that you bear and bring forth more fruit. So the, he's the true vine. The Father's the vine dresser. What are we? We're the branches. Every branch, verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, what does the Father do? He takes it away. Now, one translation says there he prunes it. He lifts it up and he prunes it. He, in other words, takes away from it the dead stuff. And therefore, every branch that bears fruit, he continues to do what? Prune as well. Why? That it may what? Bear more fruit. Why is the Father going to prune me? So it will bear more fruit. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What is the Father pruning from me what is he pruning from me that old self nature how's he doing that by me having the word of God come alive in my heart through acting upon it by learning it and acting upon it what is God doing through the process of that pruning he's pruning to your actions he's pruning you through the word he's pruning out that old stuff see a lot of people take this pruning like oh yeah God's bringing all this bad stuff into my life to prune me no he's not no, he's, how's he prune you? Through the truth. Yes. Through the action of the truth and the word coming alive. Guess what's happening in the process? You're pruning away. Yes. Come on. The word is pruning away all that old stuff. Can I get a better amen? Yes. Why, why does he want to prune that away? Look at underline the last part of verse 2. That you may bear more fruit. Amen. What kind of fruit? Watch this. Watch this. Verse 3. You are already clean. He was talking to his disciples. Because of the word which I've spoken to you. So in other words, you've already been acknowledged as righteous. Because I've told you about righteousness. How to receive it once I die. Verse 4. Watch. Abide in me and I in you. Yes. And that's basically the same as what uh, John 8.31 is saying. If the word abides in you. Well, who is Jesus? The word. How do we abide in Jesus? First of all, you get born again. You get born again. And once you're born again, then what do you do? He's the Word. You live in the Bible. You build relationship with Him. And as you get your mind renewed, come on, listen carefully. As you get your mind renewed to the new, renewed to the new spirit conscious, who you are, and you start acting upon it, guess what that Word does? It now starts abiding in you. It starts coming alive in you. You're, you're breathing life into the Word. You're breathing life into the Word by acting on it. You're giving, life the, the, you're giving the Word the place to come to life. Yes. Amen. Just having it in you doesn't give it life. No. Knowing it and then acting on it gives it life. Now you're giving it life. Yes. And now it's coming alive in you. Yes. Watch this. Watch this. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. The only way you can do this is through Jesus because obviously that's who we're, that's who we're becoming like. 
Notice again, a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So this is found, obviously, in relationship with Jesus Christ. There's the companionship part again. Look at verse 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Say, I'm the branch. He who abides in me, he says it again. He who abides in me, notice this, and I in him. So the word is coming what? Alive in him. Through what? Receiving it, acknowledging it, focusing on the new spirit, man, and acting on it. Notice, he again who abides in me and I in him, what does he do? He bears what? Tell me. Oh, come on. What does he do? He bears much fruit for without me you can do what? Question, did Jesus ever ask the Father for anything that didn't get answered? No. Everything he asked, guess, guess what? God answered. God answered. You know what that was called? That was called fruit. Really? Watch. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he's then what? Cast out. He's cast out as a branch and he's withered. And they eventually gather them and throw them into the fire they are, that they're burned. Do we need to talk about that? Verse 7. Watch. Here it is again. Watch. Here it is. If you abide in me and my what? Come on. Tell me. So it's the same as what he's been saying. But now he actually adds the phrase words because he is the word. If you abide in me in my words, my words, my words, who I say you are, who the New Testament says you are, if my words abide in you, so what does it mean for the words to abide in you? Come alive. How do they come alive? You, you begin by renewing your mind to who you now are, what you have, what you can do. You, you begin to become what? Spirit conscious. And you begin to what? Act upon that word. As you begin to act upon it, what do you do? You breathe life into the word. And that word now is what? It's coming alive in you. It's coming alive. It's coming alive. It's coming alive. Tell your neighbor, that word's coming alive in me. I'm going to tell them that word's coming alive in me. How's it going to come alive in you? You're going to start doing it. I said you're going to start doing it. Watch this. Watch this. Verse 8. By this. Look, I missed part of the verse 7. Uh, the best part. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, watch. You will ask what you desire. Not what the Father desires, but you're not going to walk, you're not going to ask Him for anything that's contrary to what the Father desires. Because you're a revelation of now who the new spirit man is and what God has for you. Notice, you will ask what you desire. Watch, watch, watch. It shall be, it shall be absolute. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear, that you bear much fruit and you will what again? Come on, say it out loud. Now, how could he say we'll be his disciples? Because that's what he did. That's what he did. Whatever he asked the Father, guess what? He got it because he wasn't focused on the flesh. He was focused on the Spirit. Yes, no, maybe. When he stood at the grave of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. What did he say before he ever spoke those words? Father, I know that you hear me. I know that you always hear me. And I know I already have what I'm asking of you. Yes. Well, you can do the same thing. Yes. You can do, as a disciple of Jesus, yes. you can do what Jesus did. Are you listening? Yes. How many people would stand there understanding I have the power and authority to actually call Lazarus forth? I'll tell you who would. Those who walk in Zoe life. Those who bring the life of God's word alive in them. If that word becomes alive in you, you know what you're going to know? You're not only going to know what, listen, you're not going to know who you are. You're going to know what you have. Come on. I have the authority of God. I have the power of God. Come on. I have the name of Jesus. You still listening? 
So what this verse is telling me and you, this is why we need the word to come alive in us. Amen. A disciple abides in the word. What does that mean? They do live in the Bible. How's the word going to come alive if you don't know what it says about you? But what are they living in the Bible doing? Learning who they are, what they have, and what they can do. And if I will abide in the word, that word again, and that phrase of John 8, 31 also means that that word does what? It comes alive in me. How does it come alive in me? Next verse. And you shall know the truth. That's how it comes alive in you. How do you know it? By experience. Do you understand John 8, 31 and 32 now? The reason that I will know, uh, how, I, how I will know I'm abiding in the Word is because once I live in that book and learn who I am and start applying it, I am now walking out the knowing of the truth. Because I'll know it by experience. As I walk out who it says I am, guess what I'm walking in the light of? The truth. You're giving life to the Word. And what, what is that actual life to the Word going to do? That truth is going to free me. It's going to free me. Go free me from stupid thinking. Come on. Go free me from stupid talking. Hallelujah. Because I ain't going to talk like I used to. I'm going to start talking like I should be. Go to John 17. He goes a little further. Now he gets into this prayer of John 17 for his immediate disciples and us as well. Has anybody getting anything out of this tonight? Look at this. John 17. I want you to see this. In his prayer for his disciples and for us, John 17, verse 16, talking about us, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Why then would we focus on the world? Why would we be so consumed with the world? Why would we, why would we, why would we be so caught up with all that the world has to offer? Why? Exactly right, Kathy. We don't know who we are. We don't know who we are. Say, I am not of this world. Notice this. They are not of the world. You know what you need to start telling yourself? I'm not of you, world. What's in this world? Satan is the God of this world. Everything that he has under his power that relates to the aspect of this world system, guess what I'm not of? I'm not of you. Hey, sickness, not of you. Hey, fear, not of you. Not of you. Hey, stress. Not of you. Hey, worry. Not of you. Say, I'm not of you. We are not of this world just like Jesus was not of this world. 17. How are we going to walk free from this? Sanctify them by your truth, Lord, because your word is truth. Sanctify. Set them apart. Set them apart from the world. What's that mean? Liberty. Freedom. We're right back to John 8, 31 and 32. What does the truth do? Sanctifies. What does the truth do? Sets you apart. What's it set you apart from? Everything that the devil in this world is trying to get you under bondage to. But how is that word going to sanctify you and set you apart? I've got to get my mind renewed to become spirit conscious. And acting upon what I now know I see who I am, I begin to bring life to that word. And now I'm doing what? Abiding in the word. I'm now abiding in the Word. That Word is now alive in me. And it's that truth as it begins to rise up in me, just like this Word here, that's going to set me free from the world. It's going to set me apart. Any good amens on that? Go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Man, I'm already out of time. Wow. 
Ephesians chapter 4. I only got like another hour's worth of teaching here I need to get across to you. Uh, I'm going to have to cut to the chase. I'm going to I'm gonna give you some verses for homework if you want them. Be great verses to meditate on and learn about. I won't have time to read them because i got to get to this next set of verses to close. But Ephesians 4, 17 through 32, he should learn this entire passage. Powerful. Powerful. Because this is talking about the very fact we can go through this transformation process. I know you know Romans 12, 1 and 2, but this is far more detailed. Talks about very similar things. We're just going to read real quick a few verses here from verse 17 uh, down through. We've got to get to verse 23. Watch this. This I say, Paul said to the church at Ephesus, I say therefore and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk. You should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Those who don't know God. Why? Because you're not of the world. How do the Gentiles walk? They're of the world. Guess what you're not? Am I going to get any good amens tonight? You're not of the world. Say it. I'm not of the world. So again, he said clearly in this verse, you should not be living that way any longer. As I started off with in the book of Luke, what is walking out now the will of God? Our new lifestyle. What was my old lifestyle? The Gentile lifestyle. What's my new lifestyle? The disciple of Jesus lifestyle. Watch this. He said, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. How do they walk? In the futility of their mind. Underline that. You should have a note in your Bible if you've ever heard me teach on this. The phrase utility, excuse me, the futility of their mind, the phrase means devoid of truth. Devoid of truth. What sets me free? Walking out the truth, who I now am. Guess why they don't walk in that kind of liberty? They don't have it. They're devoid of it. But you shouldn't be. I said, you shouldn't be. Verse 18, having their understanding what? Darkened. Why? Because they've been alienated from the life of God. You're not. Because of what? The ignorance that is in them. You shouldn't be ignorant, folks. Ignorant doesn't mean stupid. Ignorant means to lack the truth. And you're going to lack knowledge of the truth if you don't what? Apply who you now are. What you can now do. What you now have. Because notice this, of the ignorance that is in them, because of what? The blindness of their heart. Their hearts, of course, not being born again. That's not you, that's not me. They've even gone beyond, they've got beyond past feeling and have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Man, can you not see that even more in our day than ever before? Calling evil good, good evil, which the Bible said would happen. Verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. Not in this church you haven't. You've not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him, who is he, the word, and been taught by him, taught by what? The word, as the truth is in Jesus. What is it that frees you? The truth. As you learn who you are, who you are on the inside, you become more spirit conscious than you are carnal conscious. How do I know when that's happening, Pastor? Stuff doesn't bother you anymore. People don't bother you anymore. You don't get offended. Come on. You don't get your little feelings hood. Why? Because your little feelings are in your soul. You're not soul conscious. You're what? Spirit conscious. If you're spirit conscious, you don't get hurt feelings. Well, I get off of that because I can see you don't like that. I'm going to get 80 amens on that. See, this is the difference between a disciple... 
Come on. This is the difference between a living life and a disciple. See, what people don't understand is they think to live like God, everybody loves you and everything's great around you. Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus said if they persecuted you, they're going to persecute me, they're going to persecute you. If they hated me, you go read that prayer in John 17. They hated me, they're going to hate you. Not everybody. But of the world, those who don't want to obviously have anything to do with God. But you know what? If you're living like a disciple, like Jesus lived, guess what? It won't bother you. You could care less. I don't care what people think. I don't care whether somebody gives me a thumb down on Facebook or not. I don't care if they give me a bad remark. Come on, I don't care if they give me a nasty text. What do you do? Delete it. Move on. Because like Jesus, it shouldn't bother you. Are you listening? Let me help you. Everything that comes out of your soul relating to the old nature of your mind, will, and emotions that you let control you is more proof that you're not yet a full disciple yet or fully developed as one. A disciple lives like Jesus. What are they? Spirit-ruled and spirit-dominated. Why? They're spirit-conscious. They're not fleshly conscious. Are you still with me? But these guys are past feeling now to where they do all kinds of crazy stuff. But not you, verse 20, 21. If indeed again you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, what? Verse 22, that you put off. What do I do? Put off. Concerning the former conduct, the old man. So what is putting off the old man here in relationship to the steps of a disciple? Denying the old self-nature. You put off that old man, which grows corrupt. What does he do? He grows corrupt. So keep letting that old self-nature control you, and guess what you're going to live? A lifestyle of corruption. You will, according to the deceitful lust, wrongful desires. 23, but you're supposed to be what? Renewed in the spirit of your mind. Say it. Renewed in the spirit of your mind. If you do that, guess what happens? Verse 24, then you put on the new man. Come on. You put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. See, if all you ever preach to Christians is, you're a bunch of sinners. How many of you ever remember this old teaching? You're a bunch of sinners saved by grace. No, you're not. No, I love running to the believers think they're all sinners saved by grace. I said, you can't be both. You can't be both. Oh, you saying you don't sin? Oh, I still have a fleshly nature that may want to sin once in a while and do things that I know it shouldn't do, but that ain't who I am. No. I'm a spirit. Right. So are you. Because if you're not, you ain't going to heaven. Right. If you ain't a spirit, you ain't going to go live with God. Right. Is your spirit a sinner? See, they now all of a sudden like, well, yeah. no, the Bible says your spirit's perfect. Right. You're one spirit with the Lord. Holy Spirit couldn't live in your spirit if it was a sinner. Right. You still with me? Yes. We got to become what? Spirit conscious. Through the renewing of the mind, watch verse 23, renewed in the spirit of our mind, we put now on what? The new man. So as we're renewing ourselves to finding out who this new guy is and becoming conscious of him, what do we start doing? Acting on that. That's what we start acting on. How do you put on the new man? You start acting on that. You start acting on what you've renewed your mind to who you now are. What does the Bible say you are? Love. Start acting on it. Instead of punching and hating, Come on, slandering and gossiping. What should you do? Start forgiving and walking in love. Right? You listening? Oh, you can love somebody at the same time your fist is doubling up. Yeah, because your fist double up just your old flesh. You know, you tell your flesh, well, wait a minute, body. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're the slave here. Down, boy. Down. Nope, I'm choosing to walk in love. I choose to forgive. 
I've watched the power of love, even in, my, even in recent times in the past handful of years. I've watched the power of love melt people's hearts. I've watched the power of love change vindictive people. See, if people come after you even wrongly, and you're not going to walk in love toward them, you won't walk in victory. You're going to battle with them in the flesh. You listening? But if you walk in love, what are you walking in? Your spirit. I choose not to battle with you in the flesh. I choose to walk in love. I choose to walk in my spirit, man. And if I do that, guess what will happen? Guess what, folks? You ready? A soft answer turns away wrath. What's a soft answer? Answer of love. Or you can choose to be upset, be mad. And I mean, just your actions towards somebody who's wronged you. I mean, just in the last handful of years, I came across somebody who wronged me. Now, I don't go hang out with them. I'm not going to go fellowship with them. You know why? They've never repented for what they've done. They're not living right. So I'm not going to become their friend. You listening? But I walked up to them like nothing had ever happened. Hug them. How you doing? Hey, good to see you. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Love you. Hope things are going well. And I went on about my business. Are you listening? I'm not going to hate them. I, I mean, because if you do, what do you do? You're going into the flesh. What are you walking into? Corruption, bondage, not liberty, not freedom. You listening? Got to put on the new man, how? By being renewed in the spirit of your mind. I want you to get this. You have to be, I love this, James uh, Fawcett and Brown, they bring this out in the context of the Greek language here. Be renewed by your new spiritual nature. 23, be renewed by your new spiritual nature. What's renewed in the spirit of your mind? Be renewed by your new spiritual nature. Say it's in there. Say it with me. I'm going to be renewed by my new spiritual nature. How are you going to do that? Through the Word of God. Finding out who that person is. Acting upon that instead. Come on, somebody. And the more you do, come on, the more you do, Oh, we all have our fleshly moments, man. We all do. But the more you begin to act upon that new, that new spiritual uh, nature that's within you instead of the fleshly nature on the outside, guess what you do? You drive another, another crucifixion, crucifixion spike into another nail into that flesh. Right. I've been crucified with Christ. That old man's dead. Right. That old man's dead. I'm not resurrecting him. I'm not letting him come back to life. I want the Word to come alive in me. Because if I abide in the Word, the Word comes alive in me. What am I going to do? Know the truth. How? By experience. You listening? And the truth to do what? Set you free. Don't think for a moment your flesh isn't sitting there thinking, this ain't feeling comfortable at all. I don't want to do that. I don't care what you want to do. I'm not listening to you, soul. I'm not listening to you, body. Let's just read. You know what would really help you as a believer? To remind yourself of what I taught our men over the past year and a half. Your spirit is to be, no, wait a minute, I get it. King Jesus is the king over your life. But your spirit for you is to dominate you. Because your spirit is led by the Holy Spirit. Your spirit is one spirit with God. Guess who's supposed to be the ruler in your life now as far as you as an individual? Your spirit man is. What's your soul, what's your soul supposed to be, guys? Come on. What's the soul? The soul is the servant. But see, most of the time, we're still serving the soul. We give in to our feelings, our emotion, our flesh. What are we serving? The soul. Why? We're being flesh conscious. We're being old nature conscious. Instead of new nature conscious. Hallelujah. Well, but you don't understand what I deal with. Don't matter what you deal with. When it comes, you know what you say? You know what you tell your soul? When your feelings start trying to rule you, when your will start, old will starts trying to take over, come on. Or your reasoning, mind, 
mind, will, and emotions, reasoning, your old will, old nature, or your emotion. When those things rise up, try telling you how stupid you are, or you're this, or you're that. You know what you say? You know what the spirit man on the inside needs to say? That ain't who I am, and who made you king? You're not my king, you're my servant. Shut up. The Bible says. Come on. The Bible says. And then acknowledge who you are. Knowledge what you have. Knowledge what you have to start speaking to that old nature. You have to start speaking to that soul. Come on, man. Even David learned to do it, not even being born again. Why are you downcast, old soul? He wasn't talking to his heart, talking about that soul man. Just like you have mind, will, and emotions. Why are you downcast? Rejoice in the Lord. He told his soul what to do. Tell your soul what to do. Tell it how to feel. Tell it how to think. Based on what? Who you are in the new nature. Soul, you're not going to punch back. You're going to love. No, I don't. Yes, you are. You're the servant. Now, body, you're the slave. You carry out what I'm telling you to do. You go hug him instead of punch him. Amen. You smile at him instead of smirk at him. Yes. Amen. I had one guy, bad situation, man. I mean, it was so bad. And I ran across him in a store one time, and he walked up like they were, never repented. I don't care. I'm just telling you, if somebody wronged you, they do need to repent to you. Sure. Let's say it the Bible. If you've wronged somebody, you go to them and you repent. Mm-hmm. Ask them to forgive you. I'm not out looking for that. I've already forgiven them. But I run into them, and they want to act buddy-buddy like nothing's happened. I said, brother, it's good to see you. I love you. I hope everything's good for you and your family. But I'm not going to talk to you. God bless you. Goodbye. See you later. This guy wanted to destroy our ministry. Said he was going to destroy our church. Said it wouldn't even be in existence anymore. You think I'm going to stand there and act like nothing happened? See, Jesus didn't do that even in relationship to those around him. But I guarantee what he didn't do. He didn't focus on that. You listening? He chose to walk in love and forgive and walk away. Doesn't the Bible tell you something about that? Yeah, if you share your faith with people and they don't receive it, what do you do? Shake the dust off and move on. It didn't say hate them, treat them bad. Hallelujah. I want you to get to this. James 1, come on. James, say, I'm being renewed by my new spiritual nature. All right, so I got through all of that to spend the next hour to teach you. (laughs) No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I got through all that to get to James 1 to teach you two keys. I want to give you two keys in closing tonight. Two quick keys. All right? I'll give you two quick keys here in James chapter 1. How, pastor, how do I get the word living in me? Well, of course, you got to, as I've already told you, act on it. But I want to explain something in relationship to that that comes before it. There's two things you got to do to get the word of God to come alive in you. Okay? To abide in the Word, to get that Word alive in you, there's two things you got to do, James tells you. James chapter 1, if you're with me, say amen. amen. James 1, 21. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. You know what that's exactly an identical statement to? Romans 12, 1. Present your body as a living sacrifice. So in other words, stop letting your body rule you. Stop it. Stop letting the body rule. Make him your slave. You listening? Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and then do what? Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to do what? Save yourself from what? The old way of thinking, the old way of acting, the old way of feeling, the old way of doing. You got to get this. You got to receive with meekness the implanted word. If you receive the word of God with meekness, guess what? It keeps getting implanted in you. 
And the more it gets implanted in you, the more it begins to become real to you. Watch this. But, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving who? Yourself. Yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, what does he do? Watch this. I want you to get this. I'm going to come back and get on it Sunday. So strong. If anyone's a hearer of the word, what are we hearing in the word? What is it we're supposed to be hearing in the word? Who I now am. What I now have. What I now can do. The new man. The new man. So if I am now beginning to act upon that new man, what the Bible says, I love, I forgive, I give. You listening? I go to church. Not because I have to, I want to. That's what I do to develop my relationship with God. I fellowship with God in the Word. I pray. Are you listening? So watch this. If anyone's a hearer but not a doer of this Word, of who he now is, this new spirit man, Watch this. He's like a man who observes his natural face in the mirror. So when you look in the Bible and you begin to see this new man in the New Testament of who you've now been made to be, but you don't begin to act upon that. See, your mind's not fully renewed until you do what? Start acting on it. It's not fully renewed until you start acting on it. If you hear it and you don't do it, it's like looking in the mirror. Watch this, 25, but uh, 24, but he observes himself, but as soon as he walks away from the mirror, guess what? He forgets what kind of man he is. Guess what you don't need to do? Forget what kind of man you are. Amen. You can hear the word taught. You can read it in the Bible. Find out who you are. You should. You should do all of that. But what should you do? Start acting on it. Start acting on it. If you start acting on it, you won't forget who you are. You'll start letting that new man rise up and dominate. And what are you doing as you're walking out what the Word says about you? I'm giving the Word life. I'm abiding in the Word. I'm fulfilling the first thing that a disciple does. That Word comes alive in me as I act upon that Word. If you abide in the Word, you're my disciples indeed. That, life, that Word comes to life. The truth now does what? The truth now flows out through my actions. And what does the truth do? Sets me free. But I've got to be a doer of who God says I am. This is not changing myself from the outside in. This is changing myself from the inside out. Because I'm learning who's in there, and I'm going to start acting like that person. You know, you think about the context of an athlete, and a lot of times where a coach could see potential in an athlete, it's not seen on the outside, but they see it in there. I know Kerry coached soccer. If you've ever coached anything, you know, as a bull rider, I could work with kids in a school, and I could see some with potential and some not. And obviously, even some in relationship to the ones I saw potential, it wasn't shown yet on the outside by their actions of how they're doing. But I saw the potential there. And you know what I could do? Work with them if they'd listen, and I could pull it out. And guess what you got to learn to do? That potential of who I can walk in as a child of God is in there. And as I learn to see who that potential is, that new man, what do I got to do? I start pulling it out. I start acting on that. So you're not changing yourself from the outside in. You're changing yourself by the inside out. You're walking out that new man. And if you do, when you look to the new man, you won't forget who he is. When you turn away from the Bible, you won't forget. You'll live it out every day. Can I get a better amen? I want you to get this. Two things I was going to give you real quick from these verses. How, pastor, do I get the word to come alive in me? Number one, you've got to receive the word with humility. You've got to receive the word with humility. Can't just read it. Can't just hear it preached. Notice again, you've got to receive it with what? Meekness. That's humility. To get it implanted in you, you've got to receive it with humility. 
Now, I'm out of time, but I want to touch on this real quick. What does it mean to receive the Word of God with humility? Whatever the Word of God says I am, I say I am. I don't care how I feel. I don't care what it looks like. To receive it with humility, you want, you want a simpler statement? Let me give you a simpler statement. If you receive the Word of God with humility, you know what you're doing? You're agreeing with God on everything. Everything. You know when you're not receiving the Word of God with humility, you're not agreeing with God. You're not agreeing with who he says you are. You're not agreeing with what he says you can do. Well, I know the Bible said that, but get rid of your butts and start receiving the word of God with humility. Meaning what? Agree with God. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? How are you going to have companionship with Jesus and become a disciple if you keep disagreeing with him the word? So much you could preach on this. But you got to understand this. To receive the word of God with meekness means, guess what I don't do? I don't question it. I don't go by how I feel. I don't go by what I see. I don't go by what my little brain tells me. I don't go by what my family tells me. Come on, I don't go by what my spouse tells me. You're going to find this out. Disciples don't go by what others say. What do I go by? What did God say? So understand this. To receive the word with meekness, you ready? Means I accept everything it says about who I am. I accept everything about what it says I have. Well, I don't have that yet. Bible said you did. If, as long as you continue to say you don't have it, you're, guess what? You're not going to walk. You're going to walk as a disciple. You're not going to give life to that word. I want you to see this. When you disagree with the Bible, you choose to suffocate that word from coming to life. But when you agree with it, when you receive it with humility, you're starting to give life to that word. It's already alive. I'm just talking about in your life. Can I get a better amen? So I have to receive, all of us have to receive the word without humility. I accept who it says I am, what it says I have, what it says I can do. I don't argue it. I don't question it. I started doing this early on as a believer. And when I had opportunity where I saw somebody needed healing, I knew, I, hey, if, the God, if God said I can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, guess what I can do? And it ain't, I knew it wasn't me doing it. I knew it wasn't. It's him in me. Just like Jesus said, the Father in me does the work. But guess who's his hand? You are. And I just started acting on the Bible. I started acting like it was true. You know why? Because it is truth. I just started acting like it's the truth because it is. So two things you got to do to get the word alive in you. You got to receive it with humility. Number two, then you got to act on it. Receiving it's not enough. You got to act on it. If you're not a doer of the word. You could agree mentally, okay, that's who I am, but then you act differently. You listening? If you, if you believe that's who the Bible says you are, but you don't act on it, guess what happens when you walk away from the Bible? You forget it. Guess what you don't do? You don't bring the word to life. If you don't bring the word to life, the truth can't set you free because you're still walking under what? You're still walking under the old outer Adamic nature. You're still more sin conscious, flesh conscious, pain conscious, Name it. Whatever it is in relationship to that, that's what you're conscious of instead of what? The greater one that's in you. One of the greatest ways, I'll close with this. One of the greatest ways Brother Higgins said to get healed is to realize the healer's already in you. He's in you. Jesus is the healer. Now, right? What did Jesus say also in the book of John about me and you when we would obviously come to the place of salvation? He said, I'll come and make my home with you. Who's he? The healer. Brother Hagin said, I've got lots of people healed by getting them to get quiet in their mind, close their eyes, just lay back and just listen to themselves say it over and over and over again. The healer's in there. He's in there and he's healing me now. Where does healing come from? Doesn't come from the physical. Comes from the spirit. 
Where sickness and disease come from? The spirit. What spirit? Satan. He's a spirit. It didn't come from the physical. Sickness and disease did not come from the physical. Wasn't here till Satan entered the world. You listening? Till he got authority. See, a lot of people don't know this yet. Where does healing come from, Pastor? It comes from God. It comes from the Spirit. And the Spirit's in you. The healing's in you. The healing's in you. It's already there. What if we really started meditating to the degree that all of a sudden we started seeing it as so and saying, yes, Lord, you're my healer. You're in there. You already healed me. Praise God. And because you're in there, your Spirit's at work right now. It's working right now. Changing everything about my body to fulfill what you said I already am. I'm already healed. Praise God. And that's why you can start acting on it. Can I get a better amen? So for the word, for you to abide. What's it mean? Come alive. For you to abide in the word, for the word to come alive in you. I got to do what? I got to receive it with meekness. Accept everything it says. Agree with it. And I also got to do what? Act on it. Your mind is not fully renewed until you act on it. Period. Amen. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.